Well, this evening we're only looking at uh, two verses. Uh, we're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And so I invite you to open up your copy of God's Word to 2 Timothy chapter 3 to follow along with us. And uh, just two verses, but I think these two verses are enough for, for one sermon. Um, these two verses show up quite often in many, many Christian books, many theological works as proof text. Important proof text for uh, the authority, the inspiration, the inerrancy, the sufficiency of Scripture. And rightly so, they're quite clear about the Bible's authority and the Bible's sufficiency. But, but these two verses are so much more than merely proof text. There's so much more than merely two verses that, that you ought to memorize, although you ought to memorize them. They also have very significant applications for our lives for your church, for my church, for DT, and your future uh, ministry as an ordained minister, word and sacrament in the Presbyterian Church in America. And to get, the, to get at the, the relevant application and, and thrust of this, these two verses, I think it's, it's crucial, paramount, that we remember the context of this letter of 2 Timothy. That here we are at the end of chapter 3, in this letter, this is Paul's final letter to, to Timothy. Some of his final instructions to his dear, true son in the faith, Timothy. And, and Paul knows that his death is not that far off. And he loves Timothy. And so think about that for a moment. What, what would you say in a final letter, a final email, a final text, a, a final phone call with a loved one, with a dear friend. Think about what you would say. The one way to describe what all of us would say, if we knew it was near the end, we would say what was most important. We would say what is most crucial. We would say what is most essential. We would say, don't miss this. Of all the things you've ever heard me say, I want to make sure that you hear that I said this and that you remember it and that it marks your life. And that's what Paul does. That's what Paul says to Timothy in this letter from 2,000 years ago. And that's what Paul's saying to us. And so here now, God's holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, sufficient, life-giving word, 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And this is the word of the Lord. And it's absolutely true. And it's given to us in love for our good. So we have two verses. We have two headings. The first heading is the Bible's authority. The second is the Bible's sufficiency. So first, the Bible's authority. If you look at the first phrase of verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. Simply put, the Bible is God's word to us. And you may think, well, we know this. This is so simple. Well, everything I'm going to say is very simple. Everything contained in these two verses is very simple. And yet it's crucial that we not forget it, that we not miss it, that we not take it for granted. In our churches, in our homes, in, in our lives, in, in your ministry. 
The Bible is God's word to us. It's breathed out by God. Whenever you speak, you breathe out your words, right? Your breath, conditioned by your mind, produces speech. And the Bible is God's speech to us. All of it. Every book in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. But not only every book, every word in every book. Right? All means all. All scripture is breathed out by God. Which means that, that we're not free to, to pick and choose which parts of the Bible we really like and which parts we want to throw away. We're not free to pick and choose which commands we take seriously and those that we ignore. We're not free to pick and choose which doctrines we really want to believe and hold tightly to and which ones we simply discard. All scripture is breathed out by God. So DT, be committed to preaching the whole counsel of God's word. You want your life, you want your ministry, the student ministry here at this church to be as balanced as the Bible is balanced. And so preach the whole counsel of God's word. Because put another way, what scripture says, God says. Christianity is not built upon what people think about God and what people think about the world. Right? We have the Bible and Christians believe the Bible is God's self-disclosure to us. That God came to us and he revealed himself to us. The Bible is God's revelation to us. And so we call the writings found in the Bible the word of God because God is their ultimate author. And I say their ultimate author because the books of the Bible have human authors and this is not a secret. Right, you can look at the very beginning of 2 Timothy and you see that first verse says that the, uh, the Apostle Paul is the human author. However, the books of the Bible are God's words to us, written down by human authors as they were carried along by or inspired by the Holy Spirit. As Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1. And as we study and look at the, the 66 books of the Bible, we notice that each human author has his own unique literary style and vocabulary, special emphases, and perspective. And so James, the book of James, strikes our hearts differently than David's Psalms. And rightly so. Differently from Paul's letter to Timothy. And yet the church historically, and we today, believe the human authors did not merely write down their own opinions, but their words were inspired by God. And that's what the Bible says about itself. That the words of the Bible carry with them God's authority. So there are implications for our lives. There are implications for your ministry and the way you think about ministry. That all scripture is breathed out by God. And if we believe that, that's a great challenge to us. John Calvin said, if you believe this, then it's beyond all controversy that you ought to receive the Bible with reverence. We owe to the scripture the same reverence which we owe to God because it has proceeded from him alone. And so is this how we receive the Bible? Is this how we hear it read and taught and preached? For those of us who, who preach and teach the word, in churches, in small groups, in, in our homes, in Sunday school classes, is this how we approach the Bible to, to preach it and teach it? You know, not standing over it in judgment, not even standing beside it, but, but humbly and joyfully standing under it. See, a God-breathed word carries with it God's authority. Is that how we receive the Bible? All of it. Paul says, believe and trust the Bible because of the Bible's authority. 
Now, the second heading is the Bible sufficiency. And so if we look again at verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Profitable, which means beneficial, productive, useful for several things. Teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And if you look at verse 17, it says the man of God. So specifically, it's talking about Timothy as Paul is writing to him. But it also is applicable for all Christians that we can be complete equipped. And Paul uses two forms of the Greek word for equip. He uses an adjective and a participle to make this point with emphasis, that the, the man of God, the people of God, may be super equipped for every good work. That the people of God may be sufficiently super equipped for every good work that God calls you to. But the question is, do we really believe that? And do our lives evidence that? That we believe that what's found, what's found in the pages of the Bible can equip us for every good work that God would call us to? What if we actually believe that? Functionally, how would that transform the way that we live, the way that we come to the scriptures, the way that we enter the sanctuary, the way we think about sermons? See, the Bible claims to be profitable and useful if we will use it. See, the Bible is sufficient to equip and guide followers of Jesus in how to live in God's world, to equip us in how to love others, how to love God, how to do what he commands. The Bible is sufficient to equip us to be good friends and good employees and good employers and good spouses, and good parents good children, good students, faithful assistant pastors. If we will use it and read it and study it and preach it and teach it and seek to obey it. But verse 17 also carries with it really an implied warning if you have ears to hear it. You see, Paul says that this is what the Bible does. If we, it's useful if we will use it. And so the warning that's really implied is that if we neglect the study and the reading and the teaching and the preaching and the applications of God's word, then we're going to be missing out. That we're not going to be super equipped for every good work. So Paul's telling Timothy and us to use the Bible. Come to it, submit to it, hear it, read it, love it because it's sufficient. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. And if we let the Bible do all of these things in our lives, then we will be equipped, complete equipped, super equipped for every good work. As a friend of mine put it, the only way to be a man of God is to be a man of the word of God. So the Bible is sufficient, it's profitable, it's useful if we will use it. And so what is it sufficient to do? Well, it says in verse 16, sufficient to teach us. All scriptures breathe out by God and profitable for teaching. Well, think about it. What does the Bible teach us? You know, most of us in this room, we're good Presbyterians. We know our shorter catechism. What does question three ask us? What do the scriptures principally teach? The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. That's what the Bible teaches us. See, we can know the Bible without knowing God, but we can't really know God, the true God, without knowing the Bible. The natural world tells us something about God's invisible qualities and his attributes, his, his creativity, his power, 
his existence. But if you want to really know God, to know what he's like, to know his character, to know his heart, to know him personally, then you must seek to know him through his word given to us in the Bible. See, the Bible teaches us what man is to believe concerning God, who he is. It also teaches us what, what duty he requires of us, that who we were made to be. We're made to love our God, our creator, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're made to love our neighbor as ourselves. And yet, none of us do that perfectly, do we? So the Bible also teaches us about Jesus Christ. And only the Bible teaches us about Jesus Christ the eternal divine son of God who took on flesh and dwelt among us and lived the perfect righteous life that we have failed to live and who died the substitutionary death in our place on Calvary's cross and who rose again from the grave on that first Easter morning to not only prove that all of this is true, but also that there's real resurrection power for those who trust in Christ. The Bible teaches us this, that we trust in Christ, we find forgiveness for our sins. Our sins removed from us as far as the east is from the west, but also righteousness, this righteous life that Christ lived is imputed to us, credited to us, accounted to us. We are wrapped in his robes of righteousness and there's this new power for living as the Holy Spirit indwells us. We are born again. We're given new hearts. You see, DT, all of this is what the Bible teaches us and so you must teach and preach the Bible because this is what your students most need to hear. The Bible teaches us all we need to know about God, ourselves, Jesus leading to salvation. And the Bible also teaches us all we need to know about sanctification, right? This big theological word for how God uses his spirit and his word in his church to grow us and mature us as Christians, that we would die more and more to sin and live more and more to righteousness. So the Bible is sufficient to teach us, but also to reprove us. We see in verse 16, the Bible reproves us, it exposes us, it reveals us, it reproves our errors, our errors in living and our errors in doctrine. And the reproving and the revealing of our errors is an act of love. God's word is absolutely true and it's given to us in love. And part of that love is to reprove us. The scripture is this divine plumb line by which every thought, Every principle, every action, every belief is to be measured. And whenever our thoughts, our words, our beliefs, our doctrines, our actions are out of line with God's word, then he's right and we're wrong and God graciously uses his word to reprove us. This is not always pleasant, but it's always in love for our good. As Mark Twain once put it, it ain't the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. And when that happens, that's a gracious gift of God. We need the Bible to reprove us and rebuke us. And we should view the fact that God's word has a way of finding us out and convicting us of our sin when we read it, study it, and hear it preached as a gracious blessing. Because it's far too easy for us to be deceived about our own hearts. You see, we need the truth about ourselves and our sin revealed regularly to us. And we need to be reminded of God's grace in Christ. We need our blind spots pointed out, our hypocrisy unmasked. We need our sin exposed for what it really is. So the Bible is God's word to us. And it's perfect in ways that we are not. And so we shouldn't be surprised 
When our righteous and holy and perfect God says things that rebuke us and challenge us. And allowing the Bible to reprove us and challenge us is part of the proof that we actually have a relationship with the real true God through Christ. With the real true living God and not merely a a make-believe God, a creation of our own imagination. So the Bible teaches us, reproves us. The Bible is also sufficient to correct us. That word correction is really a different word from that word reproof. That word correction, it's a, that Greek word, it can also be a medical term. It, it carries with it a sense of setting right that which is broken. The, the root of that word correct or correction is ortho, like orthopedic, orthodontist. It's a term used for healing, for improving, correcting a broken bone, to rebuild a, a ruined building, to, to set a fallen object back up upright, to help a person back up on their feet after stumbling. See, the correction that comes from the Bible restores us and spiritually heals us, but only if we accept the Bible's teaching and reproof. If we come to the Bible wanting to be taught, wanting to be reproved, wanting to be corrected, then we will see just how healing and comforting and life-giving the Bible can be when we accept it as God's word given to us in love for our good. If we preach it that way, we must preach it that way. But also the Bible is sufficient to train us. If you look again at verses 16 and 17, all scriptures breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's sufficient to train us in righteousness. The word of God leads us, God's people, into righteousness and holiness in our lives and in our beliefs in our ethics and in our doctrine and our theology to grow us more and more into the image of Christ. Remember, the only way to be a man of God is to be a man of the word of God. And that Greek word that's translated training uh, is used elsewhere to refer to the, 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 the rearing of a child, the training up of a child. And, and those of us who, who are parents, we know that, that child rearing, training of children It's not a one-time thing. I mean, I've got four kids, and I'll tell you, the Harris home would be so different if I only had to tell them to stop doing this one time and start doing this one time when everything was fine. Everything was corrected. But it's not like that, right? It's, It's ongoing over and over and over again. The Bible is sufficient to train us in righteousness, but the Bible does not equip you for every good work simply because you own one. The Bible, there's a reason why the Bible's not arranged by topic. That it's not a reference book to sit on your shelf for the rare occasion when you think you need it to, to look something up. Now, I hope you do that. It's better to do that than not. But that's not what the Bible's really meant to do. You're meant to live with the Bible. To read it, to study it. See, it doesn't equip us for every good work because we simply know the general storyline of the Bible. The Bible doesn't equip us for every good work just because we've read it from cover to cover at one time. See, the Bible's not a book that we can read once and then move on from. That a Christian's training in righteousness by the word of God, it never, ever ends. It never, ever ends once we begin. As Charles Spurgeon put it, nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. And DT, this is why you must be committed to preaching and reading and praying and singing and studying the Bible. It's the word of God. 
And it is authoritative and it is sufficient. And the preaching of the word of God is a means of grace in our lives, in our churches, in our homes. Right? God uses the preaching of his word to teach us, to reprove us, to correct us, to train us in righteousness so that we're equipped for every good work. This is true for your church, for my church, for your homes, for my home, for your student ministry. So the question is, is, is this how we think about the Bible? Is this how we come to it? You know, what, if, if not, what changes do we need to make? You know, there are many pastors in this sanctuary tonight. That's always the case with ordination services. But pastors, we need to think about, do we really believe the Bible is sufficient for our churches? Do we preach in such a way that the Bible, the word of God, is the focus of our sermons? Or is our text merely a jumping off point for our own ideas and agendas and strategies? Do we really believe the Bible is sufficient for our churches or if we're honest, are we relying on sociology and psychology and the current cultural winds as much as or in addition to the Bible? See, because there really is a difference. If we believe the Bible is sufficient to teach and reprove and to correct and to train and to equip our congregations for every good work, then we will labor with all of our energy to preach the word of God as clearly and as faithfully as we can. See, DT, I know that, that parents, the parents of this church, they desire more than anything that their children love Christ and his word. So preach and teach God's word to them. Preach and teach God's word to them. Those of you who are here, you're Christians, you're not pastors, do you really believe this about the Bible? If we believe it, we will read it, we will treasure it, we'll repent when we've neglected it, we'll keep taking it up again, we'll love to hear it preached, we'll pray for God to increase our love for his word. We will demand that pastors preach the word of God to us, Lord's Day after Lord's Day without exception. So I give you permission, demand that DT teach and preach the word of God to you and to your students. You see, 2 Timothy says that God breathed out these words. In Deuteronomy 32, Moses tells us that the words of God are not just idle words, but they are our life. In Matthew 4 and Luke 4, Jesus says that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. If the scriptures are the very breath of God to Paul, life to Moses, and food to Jesus, how could we think that we can go through life thinking that they're anything less to us? Christian, the word of God must be our breath, our life, our food. Timothy, uh, Timothy, DT, the very next words that Paul says to Timothy are, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. I know you've got a vast job description. There's many more things on your job description than just preaching and teaching. But if you fail to faithfully preach and teach the word, then you utterly fail, no matter how well you do everything else. So I love you, brother. Preach the word. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would, you would teach us, you would reprove us, you would correct us, you would train us in righteousness. 
so that we, your people, may be complete equipped for every good work. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.